Hey there, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today we have another show that you've requested. If you haven't got the hint by now, I love when you request things because it lets me deliver content and experts directly to you. Today we're talking about your mental health and your success. I'm specifically going to focus on self-esteem. We may talk a little bit about anxiety because I've gotten a lot of requests from those of you who listen and watch the show. You see, it's got to be probably six weeks ago now. I did a show with Super Sid Clevenger. And Sid and I talked a lot about marketing, but the biggest reaction we got is when Sid and I went into a little off-the-cuff discussion about anxiety and about how we had to push through our anxiety and learn coping mechanisms to overcome our anxiety. The outpouring of support and questions about this was overwhelming. In addition, I did a show It's got to be two years ago, and we just replayed it uh, in January of 2021 on kind of the best of the Inside BS show with Dr. Alan Weiss, and he mentioned that self-esteem was the biggest obstacle the people he coached had to overcome. Low self-esteem was the biggest obstacle they had to to overcome in order to be successful. So these two topics have converged, and I am really fortunate to have an expert with us today who can help us through, you know, help us through a discussion, having a practical discussion on these topics and can potentially give us a pathway to navigate some of these challenges that we all face as entrepreneurs, as business owners, and as professionals. My guest today is Carol Ward, and she's a licensed psychotherapist. She's a confidence-building expert and a coach, and she helps her clients cultivate inner confidence in the areas of personal growth, business visibility, and communication. She's the author of a couple of books. One of them is titled Worried Sick, Break Free from Chronic Worry to Achieve Mental and Physical Health, published by Berkeley, and Find Your Inner Voice Using Instinct and Intuition Through the Mind-Body Connection, and that was published by Career Press. Carol's an award-winning speaker, and she delivered a popular TEDx talk on the power of the mind-body connection at the prestigious TEDx Times Square in New York City. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes so you can all watch it. I highly encourage you to watch it. It's a very good talk. She has also delivered a variety of live and virtual presentations for clients such as ABC News, Viacom, MTV, the Clinton Global Initiative, Glenn, Glenn, I think that's Glenn Devins, Inc., uh, and a whole host of others. Carol really is an expert. All of her credentials are on the website, but I think you're going to be able to tell just from our conversation that she's someone you want to pay attention to. So please join me in welcoming Carol Ward to the Inside BS Show. Carol, thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to be here. So, Carol, let's talk a little bit about the nature of business and we I think we have to address at the outset of our talk because we're we're speaking today on on in March on March 8th actually we're recording this 2021 the elephant in the room is the pandemic that has alternately alternating between it, it's either isolated us or also 
made us kind of look over our shoulder for the Grim Reaper, for, for lack of a better word, right? There's this impending sense of doom that was hanging over our heads, I guess, until December. And now there's doom combined with hope because there's a vaccine, a vaccine on the horizon for some people at some point. Talk about what we should be doing today to steal ourselves from this feeling of doom that's that's hanging over our heads with, you know, oh, there's new variants and there's there's mutations of the virus. And, you know, it's like a it's like a never ending <laughs> tidal wave of bad news yes. breaking over our heads. What do we do to steal ourselves from that first? Because that's the thing that I hear about most these days. I, I couldn't agree with you more that there's this thing hanging over all of our heads. And this is going to sound really basic, but I tell people to really edit what they watch and read and view because we know, and you know this, Dave, that it's, you know, the, the media needs to fill their content cycle. So they are constantly filling it with information designed to scare or excite or titillate us. And if we get hooked on that viewing of all that media, we're going to be unstable in our lives. When I mean unstable, we're not to feel grounded. It's a, and we need to be grounded in order to do the things that we want to do. So I'm all about choose one media outlet, limit watching it, and then get on with your day. Get on with what you want to create in the world. Really important. Yeah, we've in, in our house we've adopted uh, a day of the week where we all go on kind of a media diet, and I uh, I leave my cell phone in the office. My kids give us their iPads, and we put them you know on a high shelf, even though you know they can climb. But we we put them on a high shelf just to forget about it. We go to a, go to a park. We spend time outside with the dogs. We spend one day a week just on a complete media diet until the evening when we do like a family movie. That's been helpful. And then for uh, for me personally, I found that I was unable to like unsubscribe to all the updates that I had subscribed to. So what I did was I deleted and we can talk about this as it relates to business and stress. I deleted um, Outlook. I deleted email from the computers that I use to do work on. So I have one computer that I use for this, for streaming, another computer that I use for editing and for project work. And then I have my travel laptop. That's the only one that has um, any email on it. And I've made it a disciplined, concerted effort to only check it a couple of times a day. And that has kind of eliminated some of the stress. Also, you know, keeping the news on in the background, which a lot of people do, stopping that was was incredibly, incredibly helpful. Um, it's, it's too much, right? We're overwhelmed. And, and the other thing I want to add on to that, Dave, which I think is important, I think the things that you say about getting that media diet, and I had to train myself to do, to do this. What you take in the first thing in the morning is how you're going to set up your day. So if you turn on whatever, you know, get online or, or watching TV and if you're being bombarded by news, wow, does that affect how you feel about yourself and the world. So I tell people to make the conscious effort to take something in else in first. That could be something inspirational. It could be a thought leader. It could be a prayer. You could meditate, whatever it is. But make that first 10 minutes about feeding your brain and protecting your brain from all of that onslaught of information, really important. I also agree with you about unsubscribing. Lately, I've been getting a lot of stuff, and I'm going, wow, is this agitating my nervous system? I'm getting really revved up. 
So I have it on my to-do list. I'm going to periodically, I'm just going to go through and eliminate anything that I'm not dealing with right now. I've done it before and it's such a relief. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about one of the one of the things that I had to learn. And I always, you know, I I don't I don't like to seem self-centered, but when it comes to talking about mental health, I like to frame things in my own context because I I feel like it it gives people permission to then express how they feel. So for for me, one of the things that I had to learn was I had to give myself permission to think that everything was going to be okay. So, for example, with the you know with the with the pandemic, especially you now we're going on a year. In fact, in one week it'll be exactly a year that we've really been impacted by this. By the time June of last year came around, there wasn't a vaccine on the horizon, but I had to give myself permission to think, okay, it's going to be okay, and I I have to make that I had to make a conscious effort. I had to make that my default. Talk about how different people are, how people are wired differently. So, for example, I, the per, my wife is the perfect match for me in that her default thinking is always it's going to be okay, and my default thinking is what are the seventy things that could go wrong in this situation, right? So, I had to really give myself permission to think that way. Is it am I am I wired the wrong way? Are people who think the way I do wired the wrong way? And is self awareness enough to overcome that? It, it, first of all, you're not wired the wrong way. It's very primal, right? It goes back to the early days. It's very primal to anticipate what could go wrong. So no, it's extremely normal. The thing that someone who tends to get stuck in the what what can go wrong mindset is that then the whole world starts to look like a rainy day. And so people who are what I call chronically in that mindset, I talk about it in Worry Sick, that there's this chronic way of thinking, you then have to train yourself to shift over to things could also be okay. And the way that you do that, again, goes back to what you take in, what you read, and who you surround yourself with. You have a wife who balances you out. Some people who don't have partners, they need to choose friends very, very wisely. You don't want to be hanging out with a group of pessimists. Pessimists have a, a great function in the world. It's, it's really true. But if that's your default, you need to balance it out with people who can say, you know what, Dave, it's actually not that bad. And here's why. Now, you could be a great balance for someone who's walking around going, nothing could be wrong. I'm going to walk out. It's totally fine. I won't wear a mask. I'm protected. You could be the one to say, wait a minute. Here are the facts. So, there are different personality types, and as long as you don't fall too much into one side, you're fine. Just keep balancing out with other people and other sources of information. So talk to me about coaching people with anxiety, right? I, I work with a lot of type A people, and even though type A people are... Uh, a little bit more high strung. That doesn't mean that they're anxious. I just seem to, I guess because I'm an anxious person, anxious people just kind of gravitate toward me. We spend a lot of time talking about possibility versus probability. And that's a very rational way to look at things. How do, how do we have conversations with people who come into our lives who are, they're just overwhelmed in the moment with anxious thoughts and the, 
you know, the thought process is so truncated and it's it's so that these thoughts are coming at them so rapidly. And I, I can relate. I, I, I experienced that myself. But now I recognize that. How do you coach someone who's experiencing those, you know, those anxious thoughts that are bombarding them? How do you get them to go? Hey, wait. Time out, time out, time out. Let's back up. We'll take each of these one at a time, look at possibility versus probability. It's very hard. They don't want to see it in the moment. So how do you coach them? Well, I would say that the people are anxious or stuck for three reasons. Right? It's not it's not a one size fits all. They're, they're stuck or anxious because one, either they're they're afraid, there's fear. Two, they need support. Or three, they need information. Not everyone is anxious because they're afraid. Some people are anxious and stuck because they just don't know how to do it. They need the how-to, or they need someone going, you can do this. So I always gauge when people come to me, like, why are they stuck? Because if they have the how-to, they, you know, they know what to do, and they have the support, but things still aren't happening. It has to do with fear. So what's that fear about? Then that gives you ways to to get in there. Because I've had people say to me, yeah, I'm not here to process anything. I'm not here to understand the how and why. I just want to know the how to. Great. There's there's the through line. Mm. So that's the beginning. And that'll help clear up a lot of that, ooh, what do I do? Then the next step is to slow people down. Even people with high energy can be slowed down. Let's take a moment and really start poking holes into what I call the negative thinking. Because negative thinking is a learned way of thinking. I'm sure you have kids, and I'm sure your kids aren't walking around from the day they were born going, wow, the world is, you know, the world is really tough. They have, probably have a very open, bright way of looking at the world. It's over time that we learn these negative views of ourselves and our possibility and then of the world. So if someone says to you, well, I can't do it, well, let's explore that. How come? Right. Let's slow it down. So slow down, because anxiety has energy, as you know, and it can be very high. Slow it down and get the person to talk. On another level, because you know I'm a body-mind person, that's my whole training. Ask people to sit in silence with you. Ask them a question and say, I don't want you to answer that right away. Take a moment and notice how you're feeling about the question, and tell me whatever floats to mind. Mm. The body, mind, spirit is the way I approach it. So along those lines, let's let's help. Um, let's have a conversation about physical well-being and nutrition and how it can really um, help you kind of keep things on an even keel. I find when I take in less processed food lower my carbohydrate intake, balance my carbohydrate intake with, uh, you know, other more healthy foods, whole grains and, uh, and that sort of thing. Really watch my sugar intake. And I, even if I just walk for 45 minutes or an hour every day, that uh, my, my thoughts are clear. I, and by the way, getting six, between six and eight hours of sleep, my thoughts are clear. My, uh, my day seems less frenetic my mind is more focused. What else do we need to do from a physical perspective to make sure we're mentally sharp? Pay attention to when you want to override your body's natural rhythm. So, for example, I'll share this. I used to drink coffee 
like it was, you know, going, it was going to be taken off the market. I, I fueled myself with coffee all the time. And so there was that drop in the afternoon, and I noticed my coffee intake was getting higher and higher. So what I was doing was I was overriding my body's natural desire for downtime, which we need throughout a day. So I haven't had coffee since 2018, and I have to tell you, Dave, I thought I would never be able to function without it. And I get up in the morning, and I'm tired or lazy, and I slowly get my day going, and it doesn't take forever. So when I when you are noticing you are reaching for more coffee, more sugar, more carbs, it's usually the body saying that it needs something else when you're not hungry. When you're reaching for those things and you're not hungry, it means your body's saying, We need to we need to take a break here. And your break could be, you know, playing spider solitaire, it could be listening to music. I definitely believe in movement, whatever that movement is, you like to walk. I like to, you know, watch YouTube and, and do a Zumba class. People like yoga. Some people like boxing. And I'll take a little sidetrack here because this is important. Not every movement is the right one for you. You know, I, sometimes we want to match our movement with our mood. If you don't want to calm down through yoga, you're feeling like, I need to do something more physical. Do it because it'll still at the end calm you down if you go through a Go do some boxing. At the end, you're still going to feel calmer because you have matched what your body needs. So there's no specific nutritional advice except the ones, the one that matches you. But pay attention to how you're overriding your body. It makes a huge difference. Keeps you from burnout, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's excellent advice and. So much of what your what goes on between your ears is either influenced by what's going on in your body, or if if you're if you're not paying attention, your body will get your attention. And oh, yes, that's you can't talk about how you can't ignore some of the signs. Like your your body, the way that, the way our bodies are designed is. You know, very rarely do we immediately get that punch in the gut. It's usually a million little things before that. Talk about that so people can understand that. It's so true what you're saying. It, it, it's, it's an accumulation. So I always use these examples of, you know, I've had people go to the dentist with, you know, clenched jaws. And the dentist will say, nothing wrong with your jaw or your teeth. But there is this tension of this emo these emotions that are being held in the body, or people who have chronic headaches, chronic back aches, neck aches, shoulder pain, stomach issues, they go for all the tests. And it's really important to go for tests. I have to rule things out. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that usually means that there's a, an emotional component. In my first book, Find Your Inner Voice, I share this story of taking a cab in New York City. And you know, people find out you're a therapist and they start sharing things with you. And they, I was talking about this body-mind connection. And the cab driver said, um, oh, I took, I, I took someone to the hospital. Um, and the guy told me that, oh, the guy was having a panic attack in the back of his car. Um, and the cab driver said, do you want me to take you to the emergency? And he said, no, I've been to the emergency room probably 40 times. There's nothing wrong with me physically. I'm just emotionally responding to the overwhelm of my life. 
So if you find yourself having panic attacks, high levels of anxiety, depression even, I have a very interesting take on depression. Depression, these are physiological as well as mental signals that your body's saying, we need to address your life, what's happening. Take, let's take the time. And really important to pay attention to. It's, you know, one of the things that I talk about with clients who uh, discuss their emotional issues with me, and I'm completely unqualified other than dealing with my own baggage. Um, I, I tell them that the way that I learned to deal with, I, I had, uh, let, so let's back up. I, I started having, right around 1999, 2000, I was going through a very difficult time in my personal life. My work life was fantastic. But I got married and it was a bad marriage and it was, you know, a very short lived marriage and the intensity of the what I felt was shame or um, embarrassment associated with that was overwhelming to me. And then I managed I ran a business in New York City where I grew up and 9-11 hit and we, you know, we lost uh, clients of ours. Uh, we had to deal with that, and we had to deal with. Uh, you're from New York, so you know what that time period was like. The, the you know, just the intensity of not knowing what was coming next. Well, that's when panic attacks started happening for me. And at the time, I was in my 30s and my late 30s, and I, you know, I had never experienced anything like that before. So I was fortunate enough where I met a therapist, and the therapist helped me understand that if you know, my body was producing this reaction, then my body could help me deal with or, in a sense, stop the reaction. And that, to me, was the key that unlocked everything. Because if my body could produce this, then my body could stop it. So all of a sudden, I start, and he said to me, the therapist said to me, you know, you're, I want you to, the next time you're home and you're just sitting around relaxing, I want you to try and bring on a panic attack yourself. Have the thoughts that you have. Try and bring it on. And if you start to feel anxious, you'll see that you can control it. And do you know, sure enough, that's what really helped. Now, it didn't get better overnight. And I still feel <laughs> overwhelmed from time to time. But now I know how to my, – I know my, my thoughts. I know how to cope with that. Is that – is that a kind of a universal thing? Can everyone deal with it by, you know, realizing that we have control over this? I love that story because it's really honest and it's really true that, you know, we, we are much more complex and delicate as people. I don't mean delicate that we don't have strength and we right. don't have confidence or self-esteem, but we have this nervous system that's finely tuned to everything, and if we overload our nervous system, whether it's something we do or the world overwhelms us, like 9-11, which caused a lot of trauma and grief, you know, that not only people who lost people, but just walking around New York City or people watching it, universal grief and trauma, the nervous system is constantly reacting to that. So the way, so I believe in body and mind. So yes, the mind can help the body by saying, is this really true? Is there anything here to be really panicky about? And the technique to use, if I'm maybe familiar with it, is as you start to have the feeling of anxiety or panic, to start looking around the room and noticing things. Oh, there's the television. Oh, I can see the plant. Oh, there's the 
there's the painting on the wall to move your attention from being inward to outward and ground you in your surroundings. It's a really good way to bring you back into the room, as they say. And then once that starts to happen, you can also apply, there's so many breathing techniques, but I recommend this one that's simply, you know, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth and using your fingers, your fingers on your hand to help physically relax you at the same time. It's a great, what's the word I want to use? It's kind of a, it's not calisthenics. There's another word that uh, when you uh, squeeze and release, I can't think of it right now. And by contracting your muscles and releasing them and breathing at the same time, your nervous system goes, oh, oh, okay. We're starting to relax. And the mind goes, oh, the nervous system's relaxing. I can now calm down those irrational thoughts. So it's a partnership between body and mind. You know, another another thing that has been helpful for me, and I've taught it to clients who are professional speakers and they're about to go on stage and they seem overwhelmingly nervous for some reason, is to go to a place in your mind where you were extremely successful. And it doesn't have to be doing the thing that you are currently doing. In fact, I, we do this with our kids. I have, I have two younger children and um, my daughter uh, has been, until the pandemic, a competitive dancer. My son, until the, the pandemic, was, a, was competitive in mixed martial arts, uh, in two different martial arts disciplines. And they had success. And I said to each of them individually, look, you're going to take this success with you for the rest of your career and realize that, you know, my, my son was, you know, a top ranked kid in, in the 11 year old category in uh, in mixed martial arts worldwide. And I said, you always will have that with you. And when you are facing something that you find to be difficult, remember that you are a winner and you're not just a winner because you won in this category it's because of the work you did and the effort leading up to that and if you can do that in this one thing you can do that in everything and any lack of success you have is only temporary because you are a winner and the success is going to come to you over the long term so for me personally i refer back to areas where i've had success when I'm really struggling with these thoughts and I've coached other people, I, I use the context of professional speaking because even professional speakers, when they're in a venue and it's bigger, like you, when you did your TEDx talk, I'm sure there was some anxiety. You've spoken a million times before, but there's anxiety. You go back to the place where you had all that success and realize that's who you are and you take the stage as that person. Is that a technique that we can use from a self-esteem perspective throughout our careers? Absolutely. And you're, and you're right. I, I had spoken many times, but the TEDx talk was particularly nerve-wracking for me. And what I wanted to tap into was the pleasure of speaking. There's nervousness, and then there's the pleasure of what we do. So yes, remembering the pleasure. And I, I, this, this again is maybe a slight tangent, but you know, as we get ready to re-enter the world, there's a lot of articles about, oh, have we lost our ability to communicate and connect? And I'm thinking, why are you scaring people about this? Of course we haven't. But there are some people who are feeling some anxiety. They've been very insular. And so I say, remember and focus on the pleasure of those moments. Think of the pleasure of reconnecting to you know, the deli person here in New York or the bus driver or your colleagues. Like, that felt good remember that and use that 
to build your self-esteem. And it also can be used when you are planning a goal for the future in business. If you are planning a goal and there has a, there's a bit of a timeline to it, there's not going to be immediate results and you're not getting immediate gratification. I tell people to at least try to tap into the self-esteem of taking those actions, the pleasure of that, and the pleasure of how you're going to feel when you finish that book or get that 100 coaching client or finish that, get that college degree, the pleasure that's going to bring you. So self-respect and the discipline of doing things can have a pleasure to you. So I really like that technique. I, I, it's amazing how whenever I'm in person with people and I tell them, I have them tell me the story of one of the successes they're most proud of right before they're doing something else. Their physiology changes. They, they sit up straight. They stand up straight. They're smiling. Their eyes are wide and they're excited. And then, you know, then you turn them loose and they take on the world. <laughs> that's, so, that's so true. You can, that's, the, that's the beauty of the body-mind, including the body. If you can tune in and see when something lights someone up as a coaching client or when they glaze over, that's going to help you help them achieve what they want. And yes, people just get lit up inside. Their energy flows. Something lifts from them when they tap into that excitement and pleasure. It's great to see. And we, I, you know, that's the first thing I talk about with, I, I do a lot with lawyers, and the first thing I talk about with litigators when I try to get them to go out and deliver talks to groups or I need them to sit down and give me their best in, in, uh, in a written article, I say to them, okay, tell me about, tell me a story about when you were at your best in a courtroom in front of a judge or in front of a jury and they tell me the story and they get so animated and so excited and then I say all right now and this is great when you're when you're videoing somebody all right now let's do it again and they and immediately the energy level the difference from before to after is huge so this practice of having a mental highlight reel and going through the mental highlight reel is so powerful one of the things that I found, Carol, and tell me if this is, you know, again, this is like a reality check for me. We've kind of, society has kind of beaten out of us the, the ability to celebrate our success because we're supposed to be humble and we're not supposed to brag. So we have to give permission. We have to give people permission to do that. And it's so important. And I, you know, again, I go back to my kids. We reinforce this with the kids that you are this person, right? And you can choose to be the person who is, and I'm speaking to, you know, those of you who are listening and watching now, you can choose to be the person who was so successful or you can choose to be the person who, you know, can't remember where they left their car keys. I mean, you know, choose to be the successful guy. Yeah. And it's, it's inspirational to other people. You know, people want, if they see you do it, if you say, yeah, I achieved this, someone else is going to think, oh, I can do that too. And, and a great way, a great technique is, you know, sometimes when people give you a compliment, you know, the standard response is, thank you. And I say, in order to connect you to the achievement, say something else. So if someone says, hey, Dave, congratulations on your podcast, you might say something, thanks so much. I really enjoy offering information to my listeners. You make a statement that allows you to connect to the pleasure of what you do. And then that can open up even more of a conversation. Thank you is great, but it shuts it down. And I just think that the more we connect to our achievements, 
the more we put that energy out in the world, the more we inspire people. We just do. And we have to believe that when we share our accomplishments, we're coming from a good place. We're coming from a really good place. It's not to dominate someone or to you know, be super competitive. We're just saying, I did it and so can you. And I really enjoyed that achievement and so can you. So give us some exercises or, or give us some things we can do to reinforce these, uh, these positive experiences we've had. How can we build on our self-esteem? Because I've found that over the years, especially salespeople, entrepreneurs, and professionals who own their own practices, they, they rise to the level of their own acceptance in their mind. So if you're a $50,000 person, you will sell $50,000 worth of stuff, right? If you believe you're a million-dollar person, you'll sell a million dollars worth of stuff. How can we condition ourselves to not put that cap on, uh, on what we're going to do to, you know, to reinforce our self-esteem? What can we do to, to, to make sure that we stay on track? It's, it's a really key thing. One of my, my main beliefs is money and self-esteem go hand in hand. They, they are interlocked, that how you feel about money, finance, abundance, is, is how it's going to reflect in your life. So two areas. One is, who are you hanging out with? Who are you spending time with? Who's feeding you? I'm not just talking professionally, but who do you reach out to when you need support or information or inspiration? Because if I, I use this example. If you are looking for emotional support and you reach out to your business strategist friend, you're not going to get the, the support you need. So I always talk to people about who's on your team and what category do they fall into. Strategist, emotional support, cheerleader. Somebody's just like, you can do it. You have to recognize within yourself what you need. And the other two things I, I really suggest, and this comes out of my confidence work, is doing confidence-building actions and confidence-boosting actions. Confidence-building actions are stretches. Gee, I want to become a better speaker. What do I need to do that? Do I need to hire a coach? Maybe the first action is to ask someone to find me a coach or join Toastmasters and start speaking. I want to write that book. Hmm, maybe I need to see a class or a course. Even the researching of it is what I call an esteemable act. That comes out of 12-step programs. All these esteemable acts, small actions that you take that stretch you and show you that you're taking the steps that you need to become that person that you want to. So that's a confidence builder. Think of it as a stretch. The confidence booster has to do with receiving. Buying that new shirt that makes you feel really great. Getting that manicure, getting that massage buying that particular meal that you like, things that feed your soul, that make you feel good, that aren't necessarily about you having to do. You always have to replenish the well. So confidence build, take the action, confidence boost, receive to fill the well so you have the energy then to do more things. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Um, let's talk a little bit about resilience now. Okay, so... 
we all experience setbacks. It's, I mean, every day something happens. And if you're not, if you're not taking risks, you're not going to grow. And when you take risks, there are, there are setbacks associated with them. And there are small setbacks and then there are large setbacks. The world is full of success stories of people who either went through bankruptcy or, you know, fought through rejection or fought through all kinds of adversity to become successful. What can we do to steal ourselves or to make ourselves, in fact, better than steel, I like rubber. How do we make ourselves rubber so that, you know, the rejection just kind of bounces off of us or we bend but don't break and we can come back and learn from the experience and move forward? What can we do to become more resilient? I use this technique called SANE, S-A-N-E. So the first S is for stop. So stop. Something's happened. I've lost my job. My relationship isn't going well. Let me just stop and stop running from it and pretending like it didn't happen. So stop. The A is for acknowledge. Okay. This has happened. I feel it. I don't want to pretend. Because once, if you, if you deny to yourself, you deny to other people. You know, if you, if you pretend that you don't need help, you're not going to get the help you need, whether it's emotionally or professionally, because you want to keep it hidden. So acknowledge that something's happened. Normalize it is the end. These setbacks happen to everybody. It's it's okay to to have lost your job in a pandemic. It's it's not a crime. You haven't done anything wrong. There's a trickle-down effect that's happened. So you want to normalize that everyone goes through something. I wrote this article once that, you know, uh, and I posted, I think, on Thrive Global that, Everybody has a backstory. Social media can make it seem like nobody has a backstory, that everything's wonderful in life. But as we all know, if we see friends of ours posting one thing, or colleagues posting one thing, and then we know the real story, that actually things aren't so good, or there's been a loss, we have to take that at face value. Social media is not always what it seems. Everybody has a backstory. And the E insane stands for evaluate. What do I need in order to pick myself back up? Could be a therapist, could be a coach, could be a priest, could be a friend. What is my heart and mind telling me I need in order to pick myself up? And then choose that one step. We all need support in life and there's nothing wrong with it. And that will help us get more resiliency. Resiliency is not about rigidity. It's about what you just said. It's about flexibility. And we all need to know that we can recover. We just have to find the resources to help us do that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that uh, that acronym. That's very, very helpful. Okay, talk to me about conversations about mental health. It can be, I talk to a lot of people all day long, some of them for the podcast, obviously, but most of them are in a private setting and they people share business problems with me but it always strays into something underlying and underlying a uh, you know underlying can can mean a family issue but many times it means a mental health issue and in like in the just in the brief window of people that I've come in contact with in the legal profession alone in the last three or four years, I've noticed as people advance in their careers, even people who appear to be successful from the outside, there's been an increase in, unfortunately, suicide. 
and these people may have been struggling with depression and it was unknown to to me or they may it may have been undiagnosed they didn't know they were suffering with depression how do we talk to people about mental health in a way that makes it comfortable and it shows that we're concerned and it helps them take the steps they need to take to address issues they may have. It's, it's really well put. I actually, I actually do work in the legal field as well, and I, I, I know what you're talking about. There are certain professions where the standard of having to have a certain face on is really high. Medical, legal, financial, you, know, you, do, you have to put on a game face. But we both know from our experience that behind that, there's a lot of vulnerability and humanity, which is often overlooked. One is, I think, as a coach or someone who's listening to someone who's struggling with mental health, is we have to acknowledge our limitations within our practice. Now, I happen to be a therapist, so if someone speaks to me about mental health, I feel comfortable saying, you know, this is beyond a coaching issue. I think it's X. Mm-hmm. As a coach, you might say, you know, this is beyond my scope. I empathize with you and this is, reflect back. This is what I'm hearing. And I want to tell you, I really empathize with you. It's beyond my scope as a coach or as a friend or as a colleague to offer you advice about a situation that you see is really, that you're really struggling with. Nothing wrong with the fact that you're struggling with it. You know, normalize it, but then here are some resources. Mm-hmm. I, Carol, might say, you know, the National Association of Social Workers is a great resource to find therapists, or even in, there can be in many states, um, state organizations that help people find low-cost therapy if they need it. But I think the thing I want to say, Dave, is I think that mental health has become it's, come, it's getting better that you know, we struggle with mental health. But I've heard people over the years, you know, well-known people say, well, at least I've never had to go to a therapist. Or, you know, I got over it by just, you know, exercising and meditating. All wonderful things. Right. But there are times when we need to talk to someone else. And we should. Mm-hmm. And we recognize it when our life becomes unmanageable. When we can't get out of bed, when we're doing activities like overeating, overdrinking, overgambling, whatever it is, we're treating people around us badly, we just feel out of control, we're depressed, we're anxious. Those are beyond just normal coaching issues. Those are your body and mind saying, we've reached our limit and we need someone to help us. So it's good to recognize the signs and it's good to recognize as people or trying to help other people, when we need to step away and say, this is beyond my scope, I'm here for you, mm-hmm. talk to me, but I, I want to direct you in another way. Right. I think coaches run into trouble when they try to be therapists. Oh, and our course. work can be right, our work can be really deep, really deep. But when we run into something that's beyond our scope, we need to be humble enough to say, this is beyond me. Yeah. I, I mean, I one of the things I, I really want to stress to people is the, the ability to ask for help and the ability to 
I think you said it when when you said, oh, people say, oh, at least I didn't have to go see a therapist. Uh, we've, you know, I, we've we've made it a point in our house and among our circle of friends to, uh, you know, and again, I, I use my own frame of reference to share our vulnerabilities so that other people feel comfortable sharing theirs. And I want to make sure that people who if they can't recognize in themselves what other people may be seeing, that they kind of give themselves the benefit of the doubt and talk to a therapist. And if they feel better, continue talking to a therapist. Because what, like in, in my personal experience, and this happened on three occasions in the last couple of years, professionals who I had been in contact with, two, two of whom I had been, you know, had been my clients at different times, and a third who was not a client, but who was, a, you know, a, a friend of mine or an acquaintance of mine, they, they, they clearly had underlying issues which were diagnosed after the fact. And as an untrained person, I didn't recognize, but they, you know, the signs were all there. And maybe if they had, you know, connected with someone who had your level of experience or training, they could have there, there could have been a path for them through that, you know, kind of darkness. I think what we can do, those of you who are listening, is we can express our own vulnerability to the people we care about. And if you're in a situation where you have conversations with people on a regular basis, expressing your own vulnerability allows people to go ahead and offer their vulnerability uh, to you. And then you can then point them to people and say, hey, listen, you know, you might want to consider this. I'm just, you know, my, my thoughts are my thoughts are just opening the door to people to allowing those conversations. Absolutely. And, you know, here's the thing about therapy. Therapy is so dynamic these days. I think sometimes people have this idea of, you know, a psychiatrist and medication and, you know, lying on a couch. Therapy in the past 20, 30 years has gotten very innovative and dynamic. There are all, all these different modalities out there body-mind modalities, that's what I'm trained in. There's something called psychodynamic, which is, you know, the therapist talking back to you. There's cognitive behavioral therapy. There's EMDR, a very powerful technique for trauma. So there's all of these great types of therapy out there. So you get to, as the, as the client, as the patient, do a little shopping, see what works for you. And a, and a wonderful way to start is to start asking people around you who you trust. The, the, the personal referral is a great way to get it going because it can feel intimidating to, to get on the website and be like, who do I choose? So ask people, do you know a good therapist? Have you heard of someone? Most people nowadays know of someone who knows someone who's a therapist or knows a good therapist. So start with the circle around you. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm pleased and actually thrilled that you mentioned all the different modalities. I, m me personally, I have experienced uh, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's kind of my go-to. Uh, it's been my go-to over the years. I had, a, I had an, a, a really irrational fear of heights that I think stemmed from seeing people I love in my family who had a fear of heights, and that kind of made an impression on me. 
So I went to a cognitive behavioral therapist, and here's here's where this is before I was really enlightened. So this this story, hopefully, this story empowers other people. So I'm in graduate school, and I'm in graduate school in New York City, and I go to a, I have to go to a class, and it's on the sixth floor of a building that's an old pre-war building with a walk-up flight of stairs that's really rickety, and it's open air on both sides. And that's the particular area. If you've ever been on, like, the, the Intrepid Air, Sea, and Space Museum, they have these, uh, these outdoor staircases on the side of the ship where you're looking over at the water. That type of situation used to freak me out. So I can't go to class. It's a critical class. I needed to graduate. I can't go to class because I can't walk up the stairs, okay? So I laugh about it now because it seems just so absurd. But at the time, I'm looking up at this staircase, and there is nothing more like you could put me in a pit of snakes you could put me in a you know in a uh you know with a with a a, you know a ball of fire coming at me and i would feel much more comfortable than looking up at this staircase and i i just said i can't live my life like this so i found a therapist and we went every day for two weeks to that flight of stairs and he helped me talk me through it we did you know through exposure and you know behavioral therapy techniques I was able to get so that I could go up and down those stairs. And, you know, to this day, I still, my palms are a little sweaty even just talking to you about it now. But to this day, you go to take me to a sports stadium or something and that type of an environment, I still use these techniques. 25 years later, 30 years later, I still use these techniques to help me with that. So, you know, there is a therapeutic modality out there for you in the mental health space, just like if you had high cholesterol and Lipitor didn't agree with you, they would put you on Crestor. There's, there, there are different therapeutic modalities that are available to people that can help you and it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like that may not work for my, the therapy that I used may not work for you if you have the same, you know, uh, the same fear, the same phobia. You may have to try something else. But simply the act of working on it is progress. Simply the act of asking for help is progress. That's right. We're not robots. You know, we're not just these machines that can go along without experiencing. We need repairs sometimes. Sometimes we have breakdowns. We need the help. And and to make it more of this, of course we would. Of course we would. And we live in a a much more highly, I don't know, uh, saturated world of doing, doing, doing. And we are still, though, as I mentioned earlier, these very complex people, beings with these very... You know, our nervous systems are like violins. They're highly tuned in. And when we start to notice that things are not functioning well in our lives, it's time to to slow down. And if we get to the point where things are really off the rails, we have to honor ourselves and say, I need some help now. I need some support. And it's okay. It's more than okay. And it actually will benefit you and help you achieve more of what you want if you get the help that you need. All right. Last thing we're going to talk about today, um, Carol, let's talk about how specifically entrepreneurs or professionals who are in their own business or sales executives always, in my experience, feel better about things when they take action. Right. Entrepreneurs always feel better if there's you know, they feel they want to feel like there's progress. So they take action. 
what can we do today to take action to make our mental health a priority? What are what are some of the things we can do? Like give us give us like the basics. What are some basics from a mental health perspective we should all be doing to make sure that we're progressing, we're heading in the right direction? I'm a big believer in checking in, checking in, taking that time to check in on a daily basis. Again, whenever you have the time, but you need to make the time to say to yourself, how do I feel and what do I need? When I, some people can't, they're like, I don't know how I feel. Some of it, it's, it, there's that much of a disconnect. So then I say, well, how would you describe the mood? Can you give me a color? Can you give me a word? And some people may say, eh, I just feel blah or gray. Or what's the emotion you have associated with blah or gray? Or if you're feeling sunny, I'm feeling happy. So a daily check-in of how do I feel and then what do I need? So the action of what do I need? What do I need emotionally? What do I need practically in order to get myself going? I, too, believe that action creates inspiration. And David Burns wrote this wonderful book called The Mood Cure. And he, based on cognitive behavioral therapy, and he said we all sit around waiting for inspiration. We hope, And sometimes we do have that. But he said action creates inspiration. And I know when I was writing... One of my books, I'm, I'm more of a speaker than a writer. It's just my thing. But I had a deadline, and I was like, oh. So I had to set for myself every day, okay, I'm going to write 25,000 words. That's my goal. And when I would complete that goal, and then I would get inspired. I'd be like, oh, I'm like, so that sounds really interesting. But up until the point I sat down at the computer, and this is what you have to combat. Oh, I don't want to do this. Why do I have to do it? Don't feel like doing it. Allow those thoughts to be there and still take the steps forward towards the action. I don't want to walk today. Let me get my jacket on, open the door, and all the way down the stairs I'm going, I don't want to do this. Get yourself doing it. So you honor how you feel, but you don't give into it, and you take the action to move you forward. Because if you ignore the emotions, you try to keep pushing them away, they're just going to keep tugging. Oh, here I am, by the way, have an extra cookie. Here I am, by the way, have an extra drink. Here I am, let's go shopping. Um, you have to be able to pay attention to the emotion or it'll show up in some odd form. Make friends with it and then do the action to help you move forward. You know, that, that's such an interesting point. Why is it easier to do something every day than it is to do something occasionally. For example, this is the show is the perfect example of that. For for three and a half years, I struggled with keeping up with a weekly podcast. Right, struggled with it like ridiculous type struggle. Like, oh, I got to do this again. I can't believe it. Now I'm doing a show every day, and it's part of my routine, and it's easy. Right. Same thing with with weight loss. You mentioned having the cookie. Right. With weight loss, for me. It's easier to focus on it, like at exercise. It's easier to do something every day than it is to do it three days a week. Why is it that it's easier with more frequency than it is with less frequency? Because I think it builds that inspiration. So I'll ask you the question, why do you think? Why do you think that doing the podcast every day has made it feel easier and easier for you? I mean, I... That, 
I think it's easier because I realize now how much I enjoy these conversations. Like, I can't tell you how much I look forward to. Sometimes I do one in a day. If I have a busy week, sometimes I'll do two or three in a day. And it's always the highlight of my day. Like, for example, this conversation this morning when I woke up, I looked at my my schedule and I'm like, oh, that's going to be a great conversation because there are so many things I want to talk to Carol about. And uh, by the way, you didn't disappoint. This was fantastic. Thank you. But, you know, this this for me, this is like an oasis in the desert that is my day of other things that I have to do. So I guess it took the I guess it took the discipline of doing it every day for a few weeks to realize I really enjoy that. But, you know, Carol, here's the thing. It's not like I don't get sore muscles from having this conversation, right? If it was lifting weights every day, I'd be like, oh, my God, because there's physical pain. There's mental anguish that goes along with it. But it but it's just the frequency has created that realization for me, like brushing my teeth. If I if I do it, I feel really good when I when when I'm finished with it. That's the way I feel about exercise. What I, what I the way I feel about this is it's pleasurable, so I look forward to it, and then I enjoy doing it. So it's kind of two different things. It is, but it still has. It still there's a way to connect to the pleasure, the pleasure of it. So the doing of it, because when we have the blank unknown, that goes back to that anticipating the danger. The mind goes, I don't know. Will this be good? Oh, it's such pain. How could I? How can this possibly benefit me? But now you have the evidence of the pleasure. Wow, I really, I really enjoy this. So you want to give yourself the opportunity to have the evidence of experiencing pleasure. But let's go to exercise for a moment. Maybe, yes, there are sore muscles, but that's when you have to tap into the self-respect of saying, I did that. A lot of my muscles are sore, but I did, you know, 20 minutes of weight work. Or, mm. Oh my gosh, what does that say about me as a person? I did it. I said I would do it and I did it. And ultimately, when you look in the mirror, you're going to see that bicep. You're going to see the evidence. But while you're waiting... You have to honor the fact that you did it and compliment and acknowledge it. That's what it, that's what's going to keep you going. So with entrepreneurs and business people, I say, yeah, maybe those clients aren't immediately coming in. But look what you did. You called, you wrote. I listened to your podcast, Dave, about the three actions you could take, right? These daily things. I thought it was, I thought it was terrific. Where you're going, I sent out that email. I wrote that handwritten no, I actually did that good for me. And let that feed. When I keep bumping my desk because I get excited about this topic, you get excited and then that feeds the inspiration. Inspiration needs fuel. It needs fuel to blossom. So doing things helps it. Perfect. Okay, so you're working on another book. Tell us about the book that you're working on right now. I'm working on a book called The Confident Practitioner, and this is a very straightforward how-to book for people in private practice. Nutritionists, therapists, dietitians could even be coaches, but it's really the fundamentals, which you and I know are so important in order for those big dreams to happen. So things like the mindset, things like how do you get seen, how do you get visible, how do you, how do you work with the media, who do you want to work with? All those how-tos I'm putting into this book. It's going to probably come out in July. It's going to be available off my website. And this comes out of the an area of my practice, which is helping people create practices, therapists and dietitians and sometimes coaches, helping them build mm. what they want to. 
So I'm excited about it. It's, it's always great to give back in that way. Terrific. Well, we we have your website on the in the show notes. It's Carol Ward, Carol with a K, K A R O L W A R D dot com. People can go on there, and if they go on the website, the top right hand corner, you're going to see a little red box. And if you click on that little red box, you can subscribe to. Uh, actually, it says Join Now right below the red box. You can subscribe to that. It's orange. You can subscribe to Carol's newsletter. I'm sure you'll get an announcement when the book comes out. But you'll also get some great information, some great tips from Carol on a regular basis. Carol, talk a little bit about um, what you've seen with other practitioners and what they, you know, there's a a big need for your book. What is the biggest challenge other practitioners are facing these days? Um, and, And was that the inspiration for writing the book? The inspiration was I saw, this came out when I was going to social work school to get my degree, when we were all planning to graduate. There were people who said, I can't wait to start a practice, and other people who said, it's really hard to start a private practice. And those things came true. Those those beliefs created the reality. And so I wanted to address that you can work on the beliefs and, and work on the mindset. You can take the practical actions, and those together will move you forward. Because if you think Listen, I don't want it to be black and white. Just because we have doubts doesn't mean we're creating a bad reality. We just need to address those doubts. There's some people who say, "Uh uh-oh, can't ever have negative thoughts, can't ever think badly, can't ever be scared. No, be scared as you want. Talk about it and then get perspective on whether those fears are really true. I've seen people as a therapist come in absolutely terrified about things in their past, things that are going on and transform because they allowed themselves to talk about those fears. Those fears didn't create bad things. They're just fears that need to be resolved. So I wanted to help those kinds of practitioners who are running into some self-doubt and negative beliefs realize that they could shift those beliefs over time and still take the actions to create a practice. Well, that's terrific. And the profession is lucky that you're willing to put your thoughts down and give people kind of a manual to to follow. Here's the thing. If you're if you're a professional out there and you're you're thinking about starting a practice, I want you to go to Carol's website uh, below the red box. There's a little orange box that says join now. Sign up there to get all the notifications. And here's the other thing I want you to think about. The beauty of being in your own practice is your income is uncapped and you have more control over your future than you would if you were working for someone else. So often I work with entrepreneurs or independent professionals and they say, you know, I like the security of having a job. Well, here's the thing about the security of having a job, and I hate to burst your bubble there. How many people does it take to wake up in a bad mood for you to no longer have an income? It takes one usually. If you're in private practice, dozens if not hundreds of people have to wake up in a bad mood and fire you for you to have no income. So you're much better off on your own. You're much better off using Carol's book to build your own practice and look forward to the uncapped earning potential of being in your own practice, the control you have over your life. You truly can enable the lifestyle you want, enable the lifestyle you deserve by being in your own practice. 
can you tell I'm a huge advocate for the entrepreneurial way? <laughs> so I Carol, can. it has been, whoops, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, pleasure to be here. Carol Ward is our guest today. You can find her at carolward.com. So that's Carol with a K, K-A-R-O-L-W-A-R-D.com. I want you to go there, check out everything on her website, watch her TED Talk, and then subscribe to our newsletter. It's the orange box right below the big red box on her website on the right-hand side of the website. I put everything in the show notes for you. Carol Ward's got a lot of wisdom that she's going to share with you. So go to the website and sign up today. This is the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and we're here every day. Every stinking day we're here with a show. So join us back here again tomorrow where we take you inside business strategy, share the insider business secrets for you, and help you cut through all the inside BS that may be holding you back. Until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.